Thank you. Awesome. All right. Hey, guys. Um, I'm going to pray again if that's okay with y'all. So just really quick. Lord, thank you so much for this group of folks in front of us um, side by side with one another. Lord, I know that uh, you are in all things and through all things, and I just pray that during this time together we would be glorifying to you and that um, my words would be used to encourage and build up one another. And Lord, just um, thank you for a beautiful day and coming spring and summer and just uh, your son, our Savior Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, <laughs> let me tell you how this whole thing happens. I, uh, I got an email from Hillary, and I'm, I'm friends with Julian and Hillary and these guys at the bridge, and I get an email that says, hey, you know, we're putting on this singles event, and um, your, your name immediately came to mind. And so I'm like, wait, what about singleness in Wilmington? You're like, yes, let's call Katie. So at, at first I was like, you know, a little bit discouraged, and I showed it, I actually work directly with Hillary's cousin. His name's Hunter. Our desks point at each other. So I turned my computer around. And I said, what's this about Hunter? And he goes, oh. <laughs> he goes, so you're the poster child for singleness in Wilmington? I'm like, oh my goodness. He goes, I don't, I don't know that you're a good fit for that. I'm like, wait, wait, now why aren't I a good fit, Hunter? Tell me, tell me why I shouldn't do this. And um, I had lunch with Hillary and I had a script. I had actually written it out and prepared to tell her um, the five reasons I was unqualified. And I proceeded to tell her why I should not be speaking at this event. And my first one was that dating and singleness has never been an easy thing for me. I don't know if anybody in this room says, you know, it's just awesome. You know, I do everything well. I end everything with maturity. And I, I communicate absolutely appropriately all the time. I'm like, listen, everybody has that junk drawer in their house or the, like, closet where you throw everything, all your your baggage and the stuff you don't, you know, you've moved from house to house but never actually gone through the Tupperware. Like, that is what I feel like in a lot of ways my singleness looks like and my dating life looks like. So I said, listen, you're asking me to go into this messy room in my house that I intentionally avoid. And when people go, well, what's this room? You go, ah, close that. Nothing's in there. It's fine. It's like your garage, you know, right? So I tell her that, and she says, okay, give me another reason. Um, I said, because, you know, I have, like, pretty much experienced all different things. I've been single. I've been um, dating. I've been almost engaged. I have been single again. I have been dating multiple people at one time and, and it not be a good thing. And then I've been just totally despairing. And she's like, okay, these are all really good qualifications. Continue. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I said, okay, number three, this is scary and awful. I said, literally, literally getting up on a stage and being vulnerable and talking about singleness is, is, you know, here's my comfort zone. And with my job at Port City, I'm always trying to say, hey, y'all, this is your comfort zone. This is where God works, you know. And this is faith. So let's get outside our comfort zone. Trust God. Go over there. I'm like, but I don't like to practice what I preach, so please don't make me come and talk about singleness. And so um, she's like, well, now I'm seeing uh, an internal conviction. And I can't even remember what my fifth one was, but I ended the lunch saying, okay, I would be happy to come and try to lay my heart out there and my mistakes and my failures that aren't even like in my distant past. You know, everybody has that story of, well, when I was 15, I did it badly. No, like, like five months ago, I did it badly, you know? And so um, I'm just going to kind of try to talk a little bit about this subject from a high level, like, I, I feel like what we tend to do with dating and singleness and our status and that, or being with somebody, not being with somebody, is we, we really kind of get down on this ground level. And, I mean, that's not, God is in the details, but he's always calling us to look up, lift up, focus on him, and take a different perspective. And it, I, I tell you, you know, there's days where I'm like, I love it, I love singleness, it feels like a gift, it feels like a um, I have mobility in my life, and I have time, and then there's days where I'm like, literally, if I have to do this for another year, I'm just going to cry and move to the Bahamas and open up a, you know, ice cream stand. Because I, I do think that that is like, you know, do you ever fantasize like, well, if I can't have this, I'm going to do this exact opposite thing over there. So anyways, um, that's kind of where I am in this process. Um, so I kind of want to start, we're going to start with like kind of a a tough subject that's, that's very close to my heart, but then we're going to, again, go high level and talk about, I think, some things that um, are a lot more uplifting, so don't think this first slide is indicative of where the next 30 minutes are going. So the first thing I want to talk to you guys a little bit about is comparison, 
Um, if you're a girl in the room, you know you struggle with it. If you're a guy in the room, you struggle with it, but you pretend you don't. You know, and so, and, and we do this thing, and I mean, social media is everywhere, right? So we scroll, oh, Sarah's engaged. Oh, Mike just bought a house with his wife. Oh, my cousin's having kid number three. Um, I will tell you, my brother is five years younger than me, and um, when he got engaged, I got all of a sudden all these text messages, and they weren't, yay, are you pumped? They were, are you okay? I'm like, well, hang on, I'm thrilled. Oh, but your younger brother's getting married before, wait, 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 I'm thrilled. And then, of course, on the wedding day, I'm in the wedding, it's an amazing event, and as many people who are congratulating Michael, my brother, are coming up to me and saying, it'll be okay. And I'm like, dang, what is this perspective we have and that we kind of project on each other? So I kind of want to start by talking a little bit about comparison. Um, because I think comparison is when we go way down low, you know, and we look and we get this knee-jerk emotion or feeling, and we start taking our life, which is an apple, and comparing it to somebody else's life, which is an orange. And, you know, when I was preparing for this message, it came up to me that, that really comparison is a cousin to coveting. And, and obviously the Bible says a lot about coveting. Um, because what we do is we see something and we weigh it against our position, our situation, and then we determine that ours is less than and theirs is greater than. And then the next thing we're doing, we are essentially coveting what our brother or sister has. Um, you know, and, and my actual brother, you know, it was really easy to get jealous. It was really easy to go to that place. Um, in 1 Corinthians 3, it reads, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Um, I realize every time I'm looking at somebody else's Instagram, somebody else's joys, somebody else's victories, or even somebody else's struggles and comparing them to my own, that I'm entering into that really fleshy spot, that really like human, which human can be great and vulnerable and real when it's inspired by the Spirit of God, but it can be very um, tit for tat and just, um, I would just say not, not gracious when we get down on that level. So I wanted to start there because that is something I really struggle with. And, every, and I realized, like, you know, people are saying, well, you know, it's apples to orange, just back up, be grateful for what you have. You know, when people tell you that, like, I don't know if that actually helps anybody ever. You know, I, I'm always like, oh, right, okay, so I'll be grateful for what I have. Right, thanks, got it. But what has really helped me um, to, to avoid the comparison trap is Colossians 3. And this is, uh, it's one of my favorite verses, Colossians 3. It says, if then, I'm not going to give you numbers because they're not written in my notes, but if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the, king, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on, of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And so I realize when I'm doing this, when I'm just kind of getting down and weighing things, that if I pop up and fix my eyes on Jesus, he reorients me in my perspective and position to that situation. And I stop looking at their situation as somehow my own or pointing out lack of my own. I just can look at their situation as, as a joy or a triumph in their life. And then I can walk into it graciously with kind of a servant's heart to celebrate and be a part of that. Um, a little bit about my story. I'm 35, so I came to Christ almost five years ago. I'm about to be a five-year-old Christian very soon, so I'm like not a toddler anymore. Um, and uh, it was a very radical, dramatic experience in my life. You know, I hadn't walked with the Lord in my whole life. I had um, been raised in kind of a go to Easter, maybe, or Christmas, Christmas, Easter, church once or twice a year type thing, had no relationship with Jesus, really didn't know what it meant to follow God, um, was an athlete in college, and we had one girl on my team who was a really strong believer, and she would drag me to something called Athletes in Action, which is like FCA, or Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and again, I, I would kind of have these Jesus encounters, but never, never considered putting my whole life inside of him, hiding my life inside Christ. And, and didn't honestly feel like I had a major need to, because everything was going really well. I had um, gotten the scholarship to play at Wake Forest. We were on a very good team. We lost very little. We were national champions twice. Everything just kept trending up, 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 you know? And I graduate college, and I get the boyfriend from college, and everything's just trending up, up, up. And uh, that was just my life. I'm working in Charlotte. I've got 
a corporate job and making money. And honestly, I didn't see any need for religion, let alone a God that was going to come in and just shatter and change and break everything apart and flip the script of my life. Because what I really valued was, you know, Timothy Keller talks about this in his book, Counterfeit Gods. He says there's four kind of heart idols, approval, comfort, um, power, and control. And so I like to control my life. I did that through um, working out in sports. Um, I like to have comfort. I did that through money and security. I like to have approval. I went out to the bars a lot, found a lot of cheap, shallow friends, and felt like I had a lot of likes on Instagram before Instagram was really a thing. Um, and then as far as uh, power, um, I think I found that uh, in just what I was kind of chasing after and the ideals of what my future would look like. So, you know, I'm going to marry Sam in four years, we'll be married, five years we'll have a kid, you know, I'll be somebody just like everybody else who has everything together. And so it's interesting, you know, and again, why this is kind of a messy closet in my life, but when Sam and I broke up and my best friend got married all in the same summer, I, I did do my version of the Bahamas ice cream stand thing. I moved to New Zealand and lived on a vineyard. So I just chucked everything. <laughs> I chucked everything. And it's interesting to show what, what an idle relationships were in my life. Because obviously, when that breakup happened, I didn't really have anything else in place. I didn't have a solid community. So I left everything, moved abroad, figured I'd find myself, you know, which is what a lot of people without Christ are doing, or maybe you're in the process of doing. You're just trying to find something that matters, and you're trying to, you know, find your authentic self and your true self. Well, you can go thousands of miles and all around the globe, and you're never going to find it in anything outside Jesus. So I, I went. I went, and I decided, okay, I've lived for all these other things. Now I'll live for adventure, and I'll live for um, the now, and I'll live for just kind of the indulgence. I mean, I'm living on a vineyard. So I did that for a year, um, came back. Uh, <laughs> broke and, um, and tired. So, you know, I chased a feeling, and I chased um, a purpose in a, a myself, and I'd come back emptier than when I'd left. And so really what that did was it started, a, you know, a, a little bit of a cycle for me. So I wanted to jump out of formation, and I'll kind of pick up my story a little bit later, but I want to talk about the next slide, which is formation. Um, I think what we need to recognize, or what I have to recognize, especially when I think about my, where, how God's built me and what he's doing in my life, is that I am not in charge. Um, I've, I, I wrote this analogy out once. I'm not sure it's a really great one, but, you know, God is, he, imagine we're sailors, right? We're like in a little, you might have a huge ship, you might have a yacht, you might have a sailboat, but we're all just cruising, you know? And God has a destination picked out for us. As believers, that's heaven, but how we get there is going to be individual, unique to all of us. And the things he's going to build in us is far more important than the way our path looks. So I always look at him in my life right now, and I'm like, okay, you're forming me. And you're doing these certain things. You're putting people in my life. You're giving me giftings. You're putting me in positions to do things. You're building up these skills. It's almost like I'm a sailor, and I'm getting better at sailing, better at listening to God, better at following his spirit, better at um, serving others and imitating Christ, and I'm going through this formation process, but I'm also looking over and saying, well, I wish my process looked like theirs, um, and ooh, like, that looks like really smooth waters. Um, oh, how about that one? They are, look like they're heading to somewhere really great, and that partly I just want to park my boat and just chill, and I don't want to be a part of this grinding iron sharpens iron um, sanctification process that is key to being a believer. Um, in 2 Corinthians, we know that when we find Christ, we're made into a new creation. And, and in Ezekiel, he gives us new hearts. You know, that was where I was headed. You know, so my 20s were spent chasing things. I came back to the U.S. Um, I got a job in, um, in I, I went to be a coach, a college coach. It was completely fulfilling. It was so wonderful. But again, I, I now I'm trying to find my worth in what I'm doing. So I, I go to be coach, and uh, there's just this lack, though, because as much as I'm serving and I'm giving and I'm working at kind of a, the highest level that I could work, um, there was still so much missing. And so, again, I'm like, okay, I know how to fix that. I'll just go get another boyfriend. I'll put the relational piece in there, and then I'll be good to go. 
Well, I did that, and the hole just kept getting deeper and deeper. Again, I did not know Christ. I was not seeking him, seeking all these things of the world. And meanwhile, my heart is getting sicker and sicker because as I fix it on different things that continue to fail, um, I'm getting more weary and despairing. And honestly, the best word to describe it is desperate. So for me, that time in D.C. coaching, it started to be marked by a lot more partying. It was kind of a playground. And so for me, I was going out a lot. I was getting more of those shallow friends. I was getting more of those cheap experiences. And it was starting to do something even deeper inside me, like not just a dependence, but also um, just, uh, you know, you get to a point where you just don't like yourself. And so you're trying to do all these other things to compensate. And you're trying to be everything for everyone, but it's just because you feel like you're actually no one to anyone, you know, let alone yourself. So my, my life was kind of trending that way. And then that relationship, another key one, pops out. And again, I'm broken, shattered, absolutely distraught. But when I look at my timeline and I'll think about the absolute, you know, to be honest, the hell that, that began probably sometime after college and just started unraveling like this spiral, I am so grateful now, like wildly grateful. Because working in missions and at Port City Church, I mean, my whole thing is, Everything is leading to when you encounter Jesus. And then everything is hinging on whether you accept his gift. And then everything after that, I mean, now we're just working out the details. But you've got the ice cream, you've got the sundae. Everything after that is really just enjoyment, fulfillment in him and learning how to sail with him. Do you know what I mean? And so I get to this point, and I'm getting close to that threshold of feeling empty and despairing. But, you know, God wired us with so much resilience because that resilience is supposed to be used in hard times to follow him. But when we don't know him, we just use it to remain self-sufficient at all costs. So I did what I could, pulled my bootstraps back up, moved down to Wilmington, and said, okay, let's, what is this, start over number eight. Let's go, you know? So I moved here, and I think that's when God was really like, great. So I've moved her all around the world, and now I finally got her in this place. And you know when you get uncomfortable, and, and God puts you in a place, and that's when you get real squirrely. So um, that was what the next little bit looked like for me, but I want to talk a little more about formation, you guys. Um, we know that we have new hearts. We know that we're made new in Christ. Um, in First Thessalonians 5, we read that, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and body and soul be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are so many verses on sanctification and formation because if we don't realize that becoming a Christian is now becoming more like Christ, then we miss the whole thing. We might have saving faith, but do we have the faith that um, transforms our hearts and our lives so that when people look at us, all they see is Jesus? And when they see Jesus, all they want to do is know him more. And then they want to tell people about him. And I thought it was you know, probably pretty good enough that I just come to know Christ. I'm not actually there in my story yet, but I'm learning more and more that, that this process of sanctification is now a lifelong thing, you know? I think you think you got there, you get it, you got the Bible, you got the journal, you got the church home, you got the community, so things should get easy. And yeah, we got some people in the front going, no. And in a lot of ways, it gets harder, because now our faith is going to be tested, and it, we're going to be refined, um, there's a guy I work with named Dennis, and I'm sure he stole this from somebody else, but he, you know, we're gold in the fire, and Christ is going to polish us and, and refine us to where he can look at us, and his image is reflected right back. And how does it feel to be in a fire? How does it feel to go through another season of dryness? How does it feel to walk with community in difficult situations? How does it feel to give your life away? How does it feel to show up to a small group when no one else comes? What is it for you? But we're all in this process trudging along together. And that's when I always kind of look to my side and I go, yeah, 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 but she's married and she has two kids. I want to swap. And I think we forget that every path has its own hurdles. And I mean, we always say like marriage is going to make it so much better but I have a friend who recently got married, and she said, well, you know, the same pressures are there. Hey, when are you guys having a kid? Hey, why can't you have a kid? And then folks with kids, hey, when are you going to buy a house? Did he get the promotion? If we think we're the only ones being asked, you know, well, hey, what's next? What's up with you? You know, our brothers and sisters married and divorced in all different stages of life are getting the same tough questions. 
And I want to throw a pity party all the time and say, I'm the only one who everybody's looking at going, hmm. And I, it's not true. That's, I have a very me-focused mind, uh, a little bit narcissistic at times. And, and so I think it's all just happening to me. But it's happening to every one of our friends in their own unique way. And they feel like people are looking at them and seeing that same lack. Um, I'm going to read one more thing on formation for you guys. And in 2 Peter 1, it says, For this reason, make every effort to supplant your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. I think we we realize that, that when we set our minds on a formation that's much higher, it's a spiritual formation. It's not personal development. It's not becoming uh, your best self. It's becoming most Christ-like. And whatever he begins in us, he will bring to fruition. That's a promise that he gives us in Philippians. And so we know that, um, that we are on this, in this process, this journey with Jesus. And he's making us the best sell- sailor he can for the place he has, intends for us to go, for the people he intends for us to meet, and the journey that's unique to our lives. Um, so those are, those are the first two topics. And the next one I kind of want to transition to is abundance, okay? So if we're not living in comparison, and we're not living in lack, and we understand we're under constant formation, then we got to fix our eyes on what Jesus promises. So at this point in my story, I come to Wilmington, I start a business, I'm going to find fulfillment in work again. I get a boyfriend, I'm going to find fulfillment in relationship again. I get um, uh, fixed miles in an apartment, you know, all these things. You know, again, the things, the things, the world, the world. Uh, get some friends, get some cool bars to go to, this is my life. You know, we're just same, different city, same game kind of thing, right? And um, I had another, I had a major relationship in my life, which was my mom. We were very very, very close, and also very, um, very much the same. So we did a lot of this. And in my life, she was always this person kind of snatching me right out of the fire and, and uh, saving me at the last minute and covering for me. And just, she was, um, we, were, we were so similar and dissimilar at the same time. I, I, it's hard to explain, but my mom unexpectedly passed away. So, you know, I look back and I'm like, how gracious and merciful was Jesus that he moved me to Wilmington in the last year of my mom's life. The last year of her life so that she and I could spend that time together and our family. Um, and it's interesting, again, I don't come from a Christian family, right? So um, my mom had been apparently quite worried about me <laughs> for a few years. She'd seen the parting. She'd seen the situation scrapes I was getting myself into and out of. Um, I used to joke that I would show up to a concert in the back of a limo and leave in the back of a cop car because I was typically, I mean, I partied like here's the threshold and I was like somewhere off stage, you know, so I started getting in scrapes because I just had all this energy and life in me and I was putting it into all the wrong things. And so, you know, a parent would get worried under a situation like that. Um, And it really made no sense since I had a good education and I had a prove that I could be high achieving, why I was just blowing it all, um, prodigal son style. So again, my mom wasn't a Christian, not a praying woman, but this folly in my life drove her to church. My mom was also a very security-oriented person, so she watched her money very tightly and always squirreled it away. And we found out after she died that she'd been tithing to a local church, which to me was like just this incredible, like, you know, affirming moment where Jesus was like, I'm working I was working in her, and while you were doing this, I was using that to draw her to me. And so I find all this out. I find my mom's been tied into a church. She passed away. My dad's a wreck. My brother's in New York. He's a wreck. He's trying to get engaged. It's all just this mess, right? And meanwhile, um, I still don't want to have anything to do with God. I don't know him. But uh, they say what? When Jesus is all you need or all you have, you realize he's all you ever needed. And so um, things get pretty bad for me, and I, I get invited to a church. I had started a business, and um, I didn't know it, but I hired all Christians. So, um, I, I mean, that's like, you know, when he's circling the wagon, you know, you're done for. Yeah, so I, I, I you know, they're like prayer ringing me and everything and inviting me to lunches. And I'm like, what is happening? And, you know, finally one day I went 
And, you know, I was ready. I was ready to live a different way. I'd been going through such a stripping and pruning process now for seven or eight years. I had had friends taken away, boyfriends taken away, relationships taken away, family members taken away. And I really had nothing left to give. And I had no more energy to pull up the bootstraps or go to move to a new city or try a new thing. Or it, it was, I was just done. I was done. And literally, I was like, well, I'm so done that God is definitely not going to want to do any, have anything to do with me because literally, I can't even give him anything back. I'm not even like a valuable player on the team. You know what I mean? Like, I'm one of those draft picks where it's like, oh, okay, we'll let him walk on. You know, like it was just, it was pretty weak. And I realized that that was exactly the position God had been trying to get me to my whole life. Um, and so I, I knelt in the back of our studio, my studio on, you know, a wood panel floor, and I prayed a simple prayer, and I began going to church, and just the, the, the fullness of Christ began filling my heart. There's no other way for me to say it. I'll probably start crying because, you guys, this abundance was what I've been looking for my whole life. This sense of purpose, this sense of mission, this sense of being, this sense of intimacy. I didn't feel alone. I didn't, you know, and I was the most alone, and the most broken, and the most pitiful version of myself I had ever been, and I was the literally happiest. And people would walk into my studio and go, what is this? Who are you? What's going on? And I'm like, I literally have no idea, but this Jesus thing is working in my life. And so God makes us so many promises. The first one, John 10.10, he tells us what the thief comes to do, to kill, steal, and destroy, but he says that he came to give us life and to have it abundantly. In Psalm 23, my cup overflows. Um, in Ephesians 3, we learn about the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ, that we would be filled to, with all fullness for God. Um, my favorite, when the disciples are fishing, and he's like, throw your net over there. And they're like, there's no fish, you know? And then what happens? It's not like, oh, thanks, Jesus, I've got four. It's, no, the nets are breaking, and we're going to sink the boat. There's so many fish. You know, this is the life that God invites us to. Um, you know, the, when they go to feed, and they're like, wait, we got a few fish, a few loaves. And he's like, I can multiply that. You guys are thinking here. You're thinking human standards. You're thinking scarcity. You're living in lack. I have come with abundance and fullness. And so in my life, I started feeling that, that multiplication. And again, it was so cool because it was in such stark contrast to my earthly possessions, my earthly life, but I was feeling an increasing fullness in my heart, in my spirit, in my soul. And I didn't feel like I had to go anywhere else or chase anything to get it. It was just ever compounding. Um, I don't know how I'm doing on time. Okay, we're okay. So, yeah, guys, um, so that, this, that's where, okay, that's where I was in my walk. The next slide is about perspective, okay? Um, this, I'm going to try to, like, walk through this a little bit. Um, I would say that in my story, you know, so I'd, I'd, I'd put a lot of stock in relationships. Um, I'd put a lot of weight and identity in them and on them. And so when God stripped them all away and he said, hey, listen, I'm the only one. I'm the one that you're going to have to reside in here. Um, my life began to look really different, and, and I, I enjoy art. I enjoy photography. There's a concept. Um, and by the way, you guys all know what this picture is. This is Riceville Beach. And I think it's amazing drones have totally changed photography, right? Like, we have plenty of pictures of palm trees and waves crashing, but now we have all these, like, high-level views of things. And I think this is what God is inviting us to do, to look at our life from a totally different angle. You know, not what everybody else sees or even what our, we see in our flesh, but he's like blowing it up and pulling us up and giving us a mountaintop view. And uh, in Japanese art, there's this concept called ma. It basically means the space between things. And, you know, all of a sudden I had this life and it was just me and Jesus and a lot of empty space, you know. And it was incredible because... As I realized the fullness and beauty in the minimalism that was occurring in my life, um, I didn't have a great community yet. I was just getting set with a church, but it was beautiful in what it was. And I think we live in a culture that tells us more, more, more. You know, add, 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 clutter, clutter, clutter. 
And it's, it's interesting to me that these other cultures have recognized just the beauty of, 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 of a space that draws the eye and the attention to what really matters, the focal point. And at that point, in this point in my life, that is Christ. And I have this tendency, because I'm ADD and I'm a little hyperactive, to want to put all these other things back in my life. And, and almost, you know, saturate my life with so many other things that Jesus doesn't have to be the main thing, or as big a thing, or as bright a thing. And I feel like God intentionally, at least in my life, has kept me kind of in a little bit of a, a more open or minimal room in, in that I would, one, remain dependent on Christ, but two, my eyes would always go to him first. And so the, on the next slide, I mean, this is a little cheesy, but it's a picture. Oh, I don't think there's anybody back there. Okay, anyways, it's a picture of the Japanese art, and it's, oh, there it is. Okay, guys, and it's just minimal, okay? Um, if you open up Pinterest or Unsplash or something, you'll see these, you know, photographers who, who they shoot like a single tree in a barren land, and it's beautiful. Our, land, our lives are not barren. They're abundant, no matter what they look like, because they have Christ in them. But I think when we reorient our perspective to seeing the fullness, not in what is, but in what is around, if that makes any sense. It's a super hard concept to kind of, what, what they describe Ma as in, um, in the literature is it's an uh, appreciation and celebration of the space. And I just think that, you know, we have a question coming up later in the panel about, um, you know, how do you deal with people who ask you all the questions about why you're single or why there's, you know, that lack? And, and I always find myself on my heels and I think there is no lack. There's no lack. Like, my life might look like that. It might look a little like minimalism to you because I don't have that central main relationship that our culture almost idolizes. But... My life has so much beauty, and I want to invite you in to show you all the aspects of it. Do you know what I mean? Community and church and family and friends and deep, deep relationships with people that I derive so much joy from and perspective. And, and I think if we just think that it, because there's not this central thing, that there's nothing else, we're missing the whole beauty of the picture. Do you know what I mean? We have to reassess. You know, I hated this kind of art when I was young. I hated it. It just looks boring, right? It looks too simple and too stark. And now I find myself relishing in these spaces because they, they again, draw the eye to the main thing, which is Jesus. And I listen to a lot of podcasts getting ready for this talk. You know, I listen to a lot of sermons. I found a lot of wisdom um, in Redeemer uh, Presbyterian, which is Tim Keller's church up in New York. And they had a, a couple of series on this. And and, you know, there's just this idea that singleness um, is saying no, when really in a lot of ways it's saying yes. It's just saying yes to different things. And the world is not going to get that, which is, um, is honestly, sometimes I worry that God's just going to be single forever because it's a very useful testimony. I, most of my friends and family um, are still unbelievers. My dad's not, but um, he's a believer now. But... Um, you know, people go, wait, 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 are you dating anybody? And I said, no. And then they just, you know, the, the phone, the pause, the awkwardness. They go, but you sound so happy. <laughs> and I go, I understand that it's surprising, but it's because of Jesus. And I get to tell people over and over again that that's where my hope is, and that's where my identity is, and that's where my truth is. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, y'all, it, it, it's, it's just... It's so, I spent 30 years of my life outside Christ in that world. And people like you and I who have joy, but they don't seem to have everything that everybody else wants or has or whatever, we are a complexity, and we clash with a worldview, and it makes people question. And I'm telling you, the conversations I get to have where I explain that I'm happy and full and alive, even though I'm single, um, they draw people to asking questions about Jesus so frequently. Um, and so it's, it's an amazing piece of the testimony for me um, that, that Jesus uses to, to, again, like just kind of clash with the worldview I think of nonbelievers um, because that is such an instrumental, foundational aspect of hope outside the church. 
But obviously, the church presents us with a whole different family structure, a whole other model, being um, adopted into Christ, being made brothers and sisters, being given an inheritance. We're given a richness and a fullness, not just through Christ with him, but through each other. And I mean, learning, which it has been a learning process, how to cultivate really good community and friendships in the church has been such a blessing. And, and I will say that it's, it's probably uh, lessened my desperation for um, the intensity of having to have a relationship. And it's wild because that's been healthy for me. Because, again, I had to be in a relationship to matter, to exist prior to knowing Christ. And now it's, like, beautiful to say, like, wow, if somebody comes along, it, it's got to be, it's going to be really special because I already have all of this going on, if that makes sense. And I think when you in, are in that desperate spot, which I have been in in the past, you make some pretty crazy decisions about who you want to spend your time with um, and who you want to date. And um, I was notorious for having uh, long-term, long-distance relationships. So if you have a bi-coastal boyfriend that you get to only see once a month, I think you're stretching maybe. You know, I'm not saying that long-distance doesn't work, but I was reaching so hard to make things work because I needed it to work so bad for me to even have breath in my lungs. Do you know what I mean? And Jesus came along and gave me new breath, and I'm realizing, oh my goodness, I don't have to manipulate, I don't have to manufacture, I don't have to make something happen, and if I chase it, it's typically wasn't designed, you know, if I can't run and catch it, then I don't think Jesus really wanted me going after it kind of thing. Um, and with that, uh, I, I, the next slide that I have up for you guys is um, calling. Nope, it's stewardship. <laughs> um, this will be fast. Winston Churchill, he says this really great um, quote. He says, we make a life by what we get, but we make, or we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Um, you know, we live in an upside-down kingdom. First is last, last is first. Uh, the one who gives his life will, will keep it. Um, learning that principle in my life and walking out what it looks like, what does that have to do with stewardship? I realize that God has given me different time, different talent, different treasure than maybe somebody who has a husband and kids. And how am I going to use that time? Am I just going to sit on my hands and go, well, I'm just going to wait until I get to spend my relational capital, my emotional capital on this one person who God may or may not bring along for me because it may or may not be in my path? Or am I going to use it recklessly, in, in a good way, radically right now? You know, am I going to steward my time and service? Am I going to steward my energy and loving people well? Am I going to steward my emotions um, and, and, and give? You know, because I don't need to hold it back. You know, if I think we think that we can start giving when that person comes into our life. But the truth is, we're called to give right now because tomorrow's not promised. And maybe you might be, and I have definitely been on the point where it's like, well, I got nothing to give. This is actually really lonely and hard. And that's when we get to receive. You know, we, we give to others, we receive from Christ, and his mercies are new every day. And he gives us enough grace in today for today. So when I think about, you know, I have a friend who, who just got married and they're waiting to get pregnant. They go, what if we can never get pregnant? I'm like, well, you don't have to have a lifetime of grace mapped out for whether or not this happens, but you do, you're going to have just enough to get through today, just enough to get through today. And whatever he has planned for you, um, you get to just walk into that with open hands. Um, so stewardship, I just, you know, when I started giving my life away, yeah, I accepted Christ, I became part of the church, eventually my studio closed, I went on staff, um, that was my great gift back was how I was able to be a part of things. Um, it, was, it was able to, like, just flow and to go. And I realized my singleness at that time was a real gift because if, if a college student needed to meet for coffee and talk about, you know, the exam they just failed, I could, you know. Um, if, uh, if a friend was going through a hard thing, I could, I could run over there or they could run over to where I was. Um, I found myself just kind of mobile, and I, d I definitely had a desire to keep that to myself and reorganize my life and jump right back into control and comfort. And, you know, it was like when God wrecked my ship, he smashed it up so bad that even when I try to go back to my old self, you know, I try to, he just, it lasts like 
34 seconds. <laughs> and Or it blows up in my face, which has <laughs> happened too. And so it's just like, you know, I, it's just it's really steep learning curve, it feels like right now for me. And I've just realized I got to give. I just got to give it away. Got to give it away. And the crazier thing is I'm so much happier when I do. So much happier. Wildly, drastically happier. Um, so I'm going to, we're wrapping up uh, in the next few minutes. Um, two more slides um, and maybe one more story. So calling. You know, a lot of these messages I read and I listened to that had to do with singleness or marriage or um, whatever season, they actually had a lot to do about calling. And I realized lately that I've been called into some friendships. I've met some people, and I thought, no, Jesus, that's nope. And, and Jesus says, yes, Jesus, or yes, Katie, what are you doing? Um, this one, this one for right now, this is somebody you're coming alongside. This is somebody who... Um, you know, you're going to work in community to make each other better through me. Um, and it's weird. I'm like, well, wait, wait. If he calls friends into my life, then maybe he'll call that next thing, whatever it is. He's definitely, I felt like I've been called into jobs. I've been called into friendships. I've been, you know, you, you know when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and you're like, why am I thinking about this person? I'm going to text, and they go, you wouldn't believe it. I'm in the middle of this thing. I mean, if he speaks to us and we know how to listen, then we don't have to say, hey, Jesus, my will be done, not thy will be done. I'm going to go get this. Um, we know that he disciplines the ones he loves, too. So if we do, we, we know that that's probably going to be a learning curve to come back to dependence on him. And I just think calling, you know, I, I used to think marriage was a means to happiness. Um, and I, I learned more and more, and I'm still learning that, um, marriage is obviously about glorifying God. Marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Um, haven't been married, but I know that it that it's not all comfortable. <laughs> you know, I think singles and we we glorify it to be this thing that's going to answer the loneliness question, the emptiness question, the the I have nothing to do tonight question. But the truth is that uh, a relationship is meant to challenge you, to grow you in Christ. And eventually, if it goes to marriage, it's, it's meant to picture that beautiful union. And so marriage is a calling. It's, it's 100% a calling. And that calling is not about comfort. It's about Christ. And, and I think to myself, well, what if I'm not called to marriage? What if I don't get that call? Um, I think, well, God has mapped out my calling as a Christian very clearly. You know, we have his commandments to love one another. He tells us that we are a chosen people and that we are his marvelous possession and that we're supposed to call others out of darkness just like we were called. Um, he makes it clear that we didn't choose him, he chose us. But now that he has, that we are called to be um, ambassadors. And I realize, like, I still have a job description even if it's not wife or mom, you know? My job description is Katie, child of God, Christian ambassador to unbelievers in Wilmington. And it keeps, it keeps evolving, and I have to let God dictate the direction that goes. Um, and we are called also, we are called together for his purpose, and we are called to a great and magnificent hope. I think that ties back to abundance. We forget that we have the highest, most beautiful calling on earth. And it was not because of anything we did. It's just because of who he is. And I think when I realized that that, there's so much beauty and power in that calling, then I don't have to go try to find my worth in something outside of what I've been called to. Um, all right, so thank you for bearing with this crazy message. Um, and thank you for listening. You know, I think stewarding our time beautifully in a way that's giving and reflective of the gifts that Christ gave us. I think that living in a, a mindset of abundance, just like Jesus continued to model and show to us. Um, I, I believe that, that if we avoid the comparison trap um, by having just a different perspective and one that really, um, really recognizes the beauty in what is, not what necessarily could be, that we don't have to wait for our life to start when something else happens, that it is beautiful and invitational right now. And that, honestly, in what is going on right now, there's probably things that we could step into even deeper and fuller that would give so much, um, 
complexity and just beauty to our life. Not complexity, but, you know, depth and richness. And that they're right there right now. And we say, oh, I don't really want to do that. I'm going to wait for this. Well, God has given you this right now. You know, for me, one of those things, you know, my dad, I became a Christian. A few years later, he became a Christian. Then he got remarried to a Christian. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're all Christians. What is this? What is this? Um, you know, and I didn't, I, didn't, uh, I didn't have a lot going on. You know, I was, I was just started working for the church, just developing community. Um, and my dad and my relationship had been pretty broken through everything we'd gone through. But we were both these new Christians struggling to figure it out. And, um, and I realized that God called me into just stewarding this relationship well and loving my dad and growing closer to him and honoring him in a way that I had never known how to do because I wasn't raised with those principles. And I didn't want to, like, <laughs> have a standing Friday evening dinner with my dad or whatever it was. Um, and I did, y'all. And I have watched my dad grow and change and transform so much. And he has done the same for me. And he is like literally, it's the weirdest thing, but we were really close until about age eight. And I'm like back to being, we're back to being so close. You know what I mean? And there's just such sweetness. And I realized that, da- that God called me back into a really wonderful relationship with my dad. I didn't want to go there, but going there has been more beautiful than I could ever imagine. And so there might be something like that in your life that you're kind of like, ah, you know, I'll get to that one, or maybe later, but I'm telling you, um, just trust in that, trust in that. Um, I want to tell you one last story uh, before I jump off, um, and, and it's, it's, it's really just to show, I think, the, the breadth and width and beauty of what God is doing in our lives, and we always think it's like right here, right now, right here in this season. Um, this Bible uh, is from, it was given by my mom and her brother to my grandmother, and the date is May 12th or 13th, 1963. I'm looking for the inscription. Um, yep, Mother's Day, Mother's Day, so just over 50 years ago. Um, again, there was no evidence of faith, so when my grandma died and my uncle died, and then somebody sent me this Bible from her from her house, I'm like, why is there this tattered Bible? I don't remember my grandma talking to me about Jesus. Oh, but she was kind of Christ-like. Uh, I don't remember her ever, like, pulling out a Bible. Oh, but she was teaching me these principles, right? I'm like, huh, I think my grandma was a Christian. But wait, this Bible was given to her by my mom's dad, who died a few years after he gave her this. So my, my mom's dad was an alcoholic, and um, by the grace of God, he got sober, found Jesus, gave this Bible to his wife, my grandmother, from the kids, you know, how you do. So here, your kids want you to read this. Um, and what I think happened, judging from stories I heard about my grandma, is that after her husband died, I don't think she picked this up for about 20 years. Um, she kind of uh, had a little bit of a wild life, and her kids, you know, growing up as a single mom in D.C. and everything that was part of their life and their legacy um, that kind of set some foundational things for how my mom would be so self-sufficient and do her thing. So I find this Bible, and I look at that inscription, and that is 50 years to the date that I came to Christ. Amen. 50 years. So God had been working in and through and on my family since the beginning, from before I knew. And he brought my mom to Christ through my struggles. He brought my grandma to Christ through the death of her husband. He brought her husband, my grandfather, to, de- to Christ through his affliction with alcohol. Um, and then my coming to Christ brought my dad to Christ. You can pray for Michael Ridd. We're still working on him. Brother to Christ. Um, and then recently I had a friend who she's going through struggles, and she finds a Bible up in a closet, and she goes, I think it's one of yours. It's dated from 1993. It's a Bible from my grandmother to me. And so I'm like, now you're bringing Ashley to Christ, you know, through, through this? And this makes me think of legacy, y'all. This is legacy. God is weaving something so intricate in and through your life. And um, I keep this Bible around. It's in King James, so it's not my favorite one to read. But I keep it around because I'm like, wait, there's stuff I can't even see that's going on. Like, there's so much 
that is <laughs> like outside my pay grade, and it needs to be. Um, it's belonging to God, and it's part of a bigger plan, and I can trust in his plan. And my legacy might look different than a husband and a few kids, but I'm going to disciple girls. I'm going to try to lead people to Christ. And when I get to heaven, there are going to be brothers and sisters of mine up there because of the way that God has used me in their life. And that's going to be my legacy. And that's the only thing I can control right now. Again, we can't control what we get, but we can control what we give. And so when we give our time away, Caitlin Van Scott's in this room, and she is an amazing discipler of all these women. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, we get to be a part of a very different legacy. And I have a friend on the West Coast. She's scrambling to get married. She's on dating sites like all day long because she's like, Katie, I, I know who's going to take care of me when I'm older. Like, what's going to happen to me if I don't get married and have kids? Like, my whole hope rests in this thing happening and it being perfect. And I'm just, as I minister to her and talk to her, I also am so thankful that my legacy doesn't ride on just what happens here today in this earth, in this life. That it was written and is being written way out in front of me. And I get to just walk into that. And that our calling to honor and glorify God in our lives will leave a legacy, a trail that one day people will talk about that person who influenced them or read Bible stories to their kid or prayed for them. And we can get to be used in, in just unbelievable ways if we just trust it. And it might not be the ways we see for our lives or the ways that you know our eyes would fix on. But if we can lift them from that horizontal playing upwards, vertically, to that perspective of God, to just say, I'm with you in this, whatever this is. And so I'm just going to walk it out. Um, yeah, I, uh, I'm so thankful for y'all being here today. Um, I'm so thankful for the opportunity to speak. Um, I hope that this has been enlightening or entertaining in some way. And, and y'all, just, um, just in as much as we can, I think it's going to be t- spoken about in a breakout session, let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy it, you know, and people will um, reflect what we give them. So I get that question a lot. Is there anybody special? I say, no, but I'm doing great, you know, and I think we have to say, listen, my hope's not in that. I know your hope might be in that for me, but I'm doing great because of Jesus, and I'm going to walk that out, and, you know, again, we, we just have that opportunity to encourage and enjoy it with one another and give our lives away while we're right here right now, and just trust that it's enough grace for today. So thank you guys so much. Thank you, Ethan. You guys have been awesome.